Hey friends, welcome to Wednesday, April the 12th. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Enough for Today. We are in Psalm 76 and we're closing in on the second half. So we said yesterday the backstory of this is the defeat of the Assyrians. Um, Sennacherib and his general Rabshakeh surrounded Jerusalem, sent in threatening letters, uh, scorning God. Hezekiah the king went to the temple, laid out the letter before the Lord, asked him what he should do, and God said, I'm going to take care of this. They went to sleep that night. They woke up the next morning. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were dead, and uh, Sennacherib goes home, back to Syria, and he's defeated by God, by God's angel through the night. So it's an amazing deliverance. That's what the psalm is clearly celebrating. Um, and we left off yesterday in verse 6 that uh, at thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a deep sleep. So we talked about God doing impossible things when, um, when we just put it in his hands. I can't even begin to tell you the number of times I've seen God do something similar to this in the story of Emmanuel. And it might seem like it's melodramatic or, or hyperbole, but it is absolutely not. We've been up against so many impossible situations in the last 11 years together, and God has come through. Uh, the most recent one is the school roof, and it's just been remarkable to see God put this together over the last uh, six weeks or so that this summer the entire roof of the school will be reconstructed, which is a literally an 11-year prayer request that I've been praying in, in almost like desperation, like, God, I don't have $600,000 to throw at this, and uh, he made a way uh, for us to uh, take out sort of a short-term mortgage situation to make this happen, um, and we're praying that he will not only make it happen, which it appears he will, but also then provide for it in the coming months, which we're excited to see how that unfolds. We'd love to pay that off uh, instead of sustaining a, a, a small mortgage going forward for the next several years. It'd be awesome to see God just wipe it out. So um, anyway, time and time again, God, we've gone to God with impossible things, and he's done remarkable, exceptional, amazing things coming through in uh, the very uh, the very nick of time, as it were. So he still does these things, and you can count on him to take care of you. So look at verse 7. This is an interesting turn in the psalm. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven, and the earth feared and was still. So these are needless to say, fearsome verses. The word fear comes in twice. Thou art to be feared. The earth feared and was still. The word anger comes in in verse 7. Who can stand in your sight when you are angry? Verse 8, you cause judgment to be heard from heaven. Um, verse 9, look at it. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah. So these terms, fear, anger, judgment. They're not terms that we like to hear. Some people would take issue that uh, this is why they don't go to church. This is why they don't like pastors like me, because we talk about words like this. But can I tell you something quite frankly um, and honestly and sincerely? Um, the concepts of fear and anger and judgment in the Bible are concepts that every single human being 
believes in and longs for, okay? Um, the concepts of judgment, it, behind judgment is justice. And we cry for justice all day long in our culture. I said to our church family recently, everybody wants judgment, but nobody wants judgment. Everybody wants judgment on everybody else, but nobody wants judgment on themselves. But the fact is, friend, we can't have it both ways, okay? Uh, judgment is a good thing. God's anger is a holy, righteous, good, wonderful thing. Listen, you don't want the universe to be led, to be created by, to be lorded over by a God who doesn't have righteous anger, okay? That, that doesn't have a holy sense of justice. Why? Because that means that evil then runs free, runs powerful, runs essentially sovereign, um, and runs wild over the universe unchecked forever. So that means you don't have a hope. You don't have a hope for a happy future, a righteous future, a joyful future, a just future. You have no hope for healing and for real justice against any wrong. Um, there's no hope. If God doesn't have holy anger, there is no hope. So understand this. His anger is an expression of his love. Just like if I were holding my grandson and, and granddaughter's hand and we were walking through downtown New York and somebody leapt out of an alley and started to, to assault them, I would turn around and throw all of my strength and effort violently into defending them. And you would say, wow, Pastor Kerry got really angry. And we would call that just anger. We would call that righteous anger. We would call it, frankly, holy anger. We would say it's justified. We would say that kind of anger is an expression of love. It's a fiery, jealous, protective anger that even sacrifices itself in defense of the object of its love. So God is a jealous God. He's a, he is a defending God. He goes to defend that which would threaten or harm the ob object of his love. So yes, his anger is a good thing. That makes him someone to be feared. That makes his judgment something to anticipate, be, to count on, to expect, frankly, to look forward to uh, because he will right all wrongs. He will redeem all injustice. But look at verse 9 because this gives us the framework because when you begin to think about anger and justice and God's fearsome nature, you can't help but think, well, where do I fall in that? Like, is that, gonna, is that justice and anger going to be directed at me? And the answer is yes until Jesus steps in. When Jesus is received into your life, he becomes the recipient of the anger and the justice on the cross. So then God's, the fear that you have of God kind of transitions from terror to reverence. And the understanding you have of God's judgment transitions from his justice and wrath and anger being poured out to really a different kind of judgment, a judgment recognizing you as a citizen of his kingdom and a child adopted into his family, a different kind of judge. He becomes a loving judge working in your behalf. And here's where we see that in verse nine. When thou didst cause judgment, I'm sorry, verse nine, when God arose to judgment, what's his purpose? To save all the meek of the earth, Selah. So here's the gospel. 
Here's the gospel. This is the, this is the man that went into the temple and, and was smoting his breast that Jesus said, you know, the Pharisees said, God, thank you that I'm not like that sinful man, but the publican smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Anybody who comes to God in faith through Jesus saying, God, be merciful to me, forgive me on the basis of Jesus, forgive me in your mercy. God is merciful to those people. He forgives, he saves. And now those people are rescued from his fierce anger and judgment. And they're the objects of his good judgment, his rewarding judgment. You are now a citizen of the kingdom. You're now an adopted child in my family. You are now welcomed at my table. It is a wonderful thing uh, to be uh, to belong to this God. So without him, yeah, be terrified of his wrath and judgment. It is, it is terrifying. But with him, with your faith in Jesus, don't be terrified of his judgment. It's a good thing. It's an expression of his protective love for you. So my friends, that is enough for today, for Wednesday, April 12th. No church tonight. Have a break. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great week.